Hello there. Welcome to Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. I'm your host, Shelley F. Knight. I'm a former nurse and clinical hypnotherapist, term podcaster and author of Positive Changes, a self-kick book and Good Grief, the A to Z approach of modern day grief healing. In each episode, I aim to share my clinical, spiritual, and personal experience to help you feel inspired to create your own positive changes in life. Fear not, it's not just me. Each week, I will bring on a new guest and they will share their authentic story of positive change and the tools that they used on their journey. So if you're ready to be inspired, let's go. This week, I'm joined by an equally lovely person, the wonderful Jonathan Tucker. The catalyst for Jonathan's positive change was a self-help book. I'd love to say it was Positive Changes, a self-kick book, but it wasn't. Not for Jonathan anyway, but maybe it could be for you. Go head over to shellyfnight.com and grab a copy of Positive Changes. Now, I want you to take a few moments to think about one area of your life that you really want to change. Then, I want you to ask yourself, what's worse, fear of failure or fear of staying average? Here's what Jonathan thinks about that question. Everyone has their own goals and it's all always sort of weighted against their own expectations and aspirations. And to me, if I could become a teacher from the point of where I was academically struggling at primary school and secondary school, then that to me was above average and that would be a massive achievement. So seeing where that discovery and that journey took me and I, I thought, well, what's what what's worse? The fear of failure or the fear of remaining average? And for me, the fear of failure wasn't as scary as just plodding along and, and not ever trying. So with that food for thought, let's get our teeth into this week's episode, which is all about self-belief, self-confidence, law of attraction, life lessons, grief, end of life, and of course, positive changes. So today on the show, we're joined by Jonathan Tucker, and he's a teacher, podcast host, and a writer. So good morning to Jonathan. Good morning, Shelley. Thanks for having me on. Bless you. Now, you've got quite a story about positive change and beliefs and belonging, so please do share yeah, so it all stems back really to growing up and, and sort of having, you know, a pretty good upbringing and, uh, and having a, a relatively sort of comfortable life, but not really understanding um, where I was meant to be going in terms of a direction, what was I meant to go and achieve and, you know, where's the ceiling in terms of where, you know, my, my social, if I can speak, economic situation and also, you know, what I'm from a, a city called Hull, which in recent years has massively upturned in terms of how it's developed as a place. And before that, it was quite low aspiration. Uh, it was voted one of the UK's worst places to live. And the mood and the feeling around it, it just wasn't, a, uh, you know, a, an ambitious place to be. And things have changed over the years uh, with the city of Hull, and I'm really proud to be from there. But it's just sort of like look, growing up in that time, you don't really understand aspiration and ambitions and things. And you sort of just go along with the flow. And then as I sort of went to university and met lots of different people, um, I actually moved from from Hull, the worst place to live, to, to Middlesbrough, which was the second worst place to live. So I, I picked up. <laughs> and I think it actually switched halfway through my university time. So I'm not sure if that's because of me or what. But no, I met, I met some fantastic people. And from all different walks of life and backgrounds. And that just showed me actually, you know, some people who have come from really deprived backgrounds and, and have managed to make it to university or people who have, you know, ambitions of starting their own businesses and things. And I came across the, the law of attraction and, and all of these self-help and self-development books and podcasts like this one. And it sort of started to change the way I was thinking. And I was thinking to myself, right, let's, let's look at, and we'll speak about this later probably, but planning and designing who I want to become and, and that's how the self uh, sort of help and the, the positive changes came in really I started to plan where I wanted to go and how I wanted to get there and I felt like I had much more of a purpose of 
direction and belonging than I ever did before. And I felt felt quite lost and in a bit of a rut whilst I whilst I was at university. And then from then on, I had that the shackles were off, as it were, and I could become who I wanted to become. I love that. So was there an actual trigger point during your university years where you thought, I'm sort of like bumbling along, do my degree, but I don't know who I am? Or was it because it was such a change to Hull? Yeah, I think it was more the case that I was living by myself. Um, well, I was obviously living with a group of friends, but I, I didn't have the comfort of of the home, sort of, you know, having my washing done, mum and dad feeding me every day and things like that, that you sort of start to learn a little bit about yourself. And everyone just seemed that, you know, procrastination was quite a high point um, in terms of me because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was on a course which I really believed would be the direction in which I was going. I wanted to be a football coach. I wanted to work in the professional football environment. And I did a, a sports science and coaching degree. And actually, hardly any of the, the course was centered around um, what it is that I wanted to do. And it just made me sort of realize, actually, things are, are not always what it appears and seems, you know, and it turns out to be. And I was a bit like, wow, what do I, what do, I do now then? How do I, what do I actually want to become? And I think knowing what I didn't want, I didn't want to be this person who procrastinated every day, who spent wasted money and had no sort of plans of investing and saving and had no understanding of it either. Um, didn't really look after myself. I played football, but I didn't really um, exercise for the benefits that I know that I can have now. My sleep pattern, uh, hydration, everything like that. I, I sort of realized, oh, well, I don't really feel great uh, deep down inside. You always feel like there's maybe a part of you missing. And once you know that, you know exactly what you don't want then you start to realize actually this is what I do want and reading was a big part of that because you know obviously I'm a teacher now and I encourage my pupils to read all the time and they say you know the more you know and the more that you learn the, the bigger the world becomes to you really and the more you know you also realize the more you don't know because you don't you could be <laughs> you know ignorance is bliss as they say and you're in this sort of world of you know this is my little bubble and I'm going to stay in there. But if you read and open your mind and explore, then you start to discover, actually, there's lots of different facets of life which I can go and explore. I think it's really valuable what you said, because, you know, when I sort of coach people and say, like, you know, what is it that you actually want? They're like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the backwards approach. Like, maybe if you look at what you don't want, because it's so negative and always sort of like pick out the things we don't like about our lives so sometimes it's best isn't it when you're going to make a change hmm. just think yeah. what don't I want because people are so drawn to the negative unfortunately that sometimes you think actually I don't want to be with him and I don't like that food and I don't like that job rather than thinking I want six figures I want a man with blonde hair you know whatever you're yeah. wanting sometimes you're going to create that change it's good to start with what you don't want especially if you're more of a negative the filter thinkers that think yeah I don't like this yeah Absolutely. And, and the part of the design process really is to think not and not attract that what you don't want, because I used to always get hit with these like unexpected bills or whatever it was and be like, oh, I'm so unlucky with money or, you know, I, I never have great luck with cars or whatever it is. And these things always seem to happen to me. And yes, I don't want that, but I also don't want to attract that. So I had to then flip it to right, I'm someone who wants to live in abundance. I want to be a positive person and I, any speed bump that comes my way, I see it as an opportunity for growth. So you're acknowledging that these things can potentially happen, but you're also framing it in a positive way. And I know that I didn't want to react negatively to it, but then reading and discovering and listening to podcasts enabled me to think, actually, um, if you're thinking, I wish this didn't happen, I wish this didn't happen then you are going to attract that because you're still putting it out there into, into the universe in a way. So you're sort of thinking, well, actually, instead of somebody who is, I wish I wasn't so, um, I wish I didn't have a scarcity approach to money, you're starting to think, well, I am somebody who's abundant and I live in, in a sense of abundance. Rather than being overly, um, I don't know, direct and overly sort of honed in on one particular thing, like you said about six figures, that can come later on, uh, and I, always, I, I will probably talk later on about being specific, but that foundation sort of that you're going to set yourself and one, sort of planning that that dream you and future you, you need to start start really with the, the basics and the foundations of what you necessarily don't want to be like, and then you can sort of hone in on specifics 
when you do start to pick up a bit of momentum, a bit of direction and a bit of understanding of what it will take to get to your dreams. Yeah, and I really agree with that because I think you know, when we're saying what we don't want, we're still voicing the words to the universe. And I always say like the universe got your back. Yeah. It's quite funny when we about the bills coming in. Like, I speak to my letters, <laughs> John, when they come in. I'm like, thank you, universe. The bill is now paid. You know, and I just, well, at the moment, you spritz and everything with disinfectant as it comes as well. But I sort of say, thank you, universe. This bill is now paid. I never go like, because I'm thinking that's a heavy energy. I don't want that because mm-hmm. it's going to add to the bill. But it is phrasing it right. So I've been on this um, manifestation workshop this week. And they're saying about doing an affirmation. So every day you're saying something. And so I've been like manifesting things for years, but people said, oh, I'm no longer unhealthy. And it's like, no, every day I'm growing healthier and happier. Yeah. And it is, as you say, just taking that time to flip it. So you're not telling the universe, whatever you believe in, what you don't want. You need to work out what you don't want and then say what you do want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Starting, like, like you've just said there, so understanding that um, and making sure yeah, you can start backwards and, and, and sort of flip it and then move towards what you do want but making sure that you don't channel that negative energy in any way so that you, you're thinking forwards and where you want to be yeah so I love law of attraction my friend she calls it law of vibration which I really yeah. like so that's of I always think when you're in a relationship or you're not in a relationship probably more to the point and you want one and you're going like law of attraction might be sort of like I want this man to be blonde six foot four I don't know teacher scientist whatever but the law of vibration is that you have to match your energy with their energy. So it's mm. no good sitting there in sort of like tea stained joggers, mm. <laughs> eating cold pizza, saying, I want this supermodel man. You have to sort of like, you know, feel good about yourself, be healthy, you know, dress the part to attract that kind of thing. So, yeah, I say law of vibration. But what I love is that it's almost like quite a feminine, quite a girl thing to do. But I love the fact you're really into law of attraction. So mm. how did that happen? Um, well, I started, um, it's it's a funny old story, actually. And it's funny that you mentioned relationships. So I, I was someone who always struggled with confidence. And um, I came across the first self-help book I came across as a sort of 17-year-old um, lad who was sort of you know, ready to go to university, but really struggled with like, like relationships and, and confidence. And I really struggled in job interviews as well. I found like coaching sort of books on how to develop relationships and like to obviously to like a 16 17 year old um, guy who wants to start to meet people you're like oh yeah I'll, I'll read this and it might help me you know meet women or you know and all of this sort of things and what I found in there was like things such as body language tonality uh, like your confidence like you said dressing the part and like making sure that you feel good about yourself and I found that actually not just you know relationships in general but going to find a job um, I, I actually, my first day at university, I was quite lucky with the, again, I'm probably attracting it, but with getting into um, halls of residence. So when on the first night where everybody sort of met their new friends and went out, I was in um, sort of an apartment complex with a lot of second and third years. So I was pretty much by myself and I had to go out on my own on that first night and, and just go and meet people uh, who I thought might be on my course or whatever and, and speak. And I could have just stayed in for the whole week and not actually met anybody. But I, I sort of took it upon myself, right? I've been reading these books. I've got some sort of like body language and confidence. And I started just going to mix with, with people. I actually met um, a friend who is going to be best man at my wedding uh, on that first night. I asked him for a game pool and I was just like, uh, yeah, I've read all these things on developing relationships with, with women and sort of improving my, my chances and luck with, with in relationships. But I can actually meet people. I can meet like mentors. I can get jobs and I can speak in presentations all because I'm starting this self-help journey. So, um, yeah, I just was like opened up a conversation with a group of guys who I thought, oh, they look, you know, they look a bit like me. They might have the same interests. I was like, right, so, you know, nice to meet you all. Does anyone want to game a pool? And we just got talking and, and then you're actually communicating with others a lot better. You're radiating confidence and you attract those sorts of social circles, relationships, job opportunities and things like that because you're putting it out there into the universe. And that's how it started for me, really. And I thought, actually, I bought a book on a particular topic, but actually it's helped me in in multiple areas in my life. So then moved into uh, The Secret and that's how the law of attraction started, really. And then I realized when I was doing that before, and I'd sort of read up on my confidence and speaking to people and all of this, 
Uh, and I wouldn't have ever been able to do something like this now, you know, when I was about 16 years old, because I was very socially awkward and things like that. Um, I, I was actually attracting, you know, people like, like I said, one of my closest friends now is going to be best man at my wedding. I'm attracting someone who's like-minded and, you know, has the same goals and values as me and someone who I struck up an amazing friendship with. And even though I've known some of my friends for over 20 years now, um, I met this person when I was 18 and, you know, we're, 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 we still live quite far away, but we're the closest sort of friendships that I've ever had. So it's incredible how things like that work. And what, like you said about the law of vibration, I've recently read um, Vex King's book about good vibes, good life. And, uh, oh, yeah. um, and that was the law of vibration. And that's where I, I, I thought, well, actually, yeah, it is more of that energy and vibrations than just saying it and speaking it all the time. But yeah, that, that's where it really started for me. Um, and it's quite, it's quite a funny, really funny story, really how it started because I was getting a lot of um, stick from friends and stuff. Oh, you're reading this book just because you're socially awkward. You, you, you haven't got any chat as it were sort of things. So, yeah. It's just interesting, but it's helped me so much because from going to, you know, struggle to find a job while I was at university and things like that, I've managed to get into a profession that I really enjoy in, in teaching. And that basically is a presentation. It's a show every day when you, you, you know, you're standing up in front of people and public speaking and being able to get a job um, which I get to do that every day. And uh, it was just a, a fascinating journey and who'd have thought a tiny little self-help book on, on how to, how to get a relationship uh, would, would help in that aspect. See, I'm an author. So I think my self-help books are life changing as well, John. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I love what you're saying because it starts off as just like making one change and whether it is just like that, reading that certain book or just having to have that leap of faith that I need to go out to meet people. But people just don't do those small steps. I just sit here sometimes like thinking, ah, you know, just go for it. Because yeah. like you were 16, 17. I was like, that's really impressive. Because when I was that age, I was just drinking Nuki Brown Ale. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it was two choices. It was either, you know, go through like, the rest of my life being really really awkward and socially awkward and not being able to meet people and not be able to have the dream life and I knew that I, I loved radio and listening to talk shows and podcasts I loved that aspect of it and I also knew that the university I was going to had a student radio station so if I was to ever go and get into something like that myself or podcasting like we're doing now I'd need to learn the appropriate skills to do so and I'm very much a person who believes in nurture rather than nature um, and in quite a lot of areas of my life, I've been sort of late bloomer in terms of learning um, at school. I didn't particularly perform excellently until really late on. I managed to sort of scrape my way to college and scrape my way to university. But then when I studied to become a teacher, that was the strongest I've ever, ever been. And um, the, the sort of coming across people um, such as Tom Billy, who's been a really big part of that because he is somebody who really advocates the, the nature of a nature argument. And that, there's definitely some scope with nature. You know, people are born with certain talents, but quite often can waste them. Like you said, if they don't make the small changes necessary, then they might not achieve the full potential. But, um, you know, to be truly good at something or even world-class at something, you need to be able to, to learn all the time and, and always believe that you're never fully evolved. I think you've just helped loads of people today. You remind me of an earlier episode. I have a mother and daughter come on. It was actually about heroin addiction. But the daughter, Misha Reed, she just really struggled with all her schooling because she had like addict parents. Mm. Her school years were a nightmare. Like she wasn't really there. She couldn't stay in the class. She lost time because, you know, that there was no one to get her to school that was you no know, reliable. But she's gone on to be a teacher and uh, you just remind me of her and I think you know there's people listening today and they always think it's too late or they weren't that good at school but you're the second person that I know of hmm. that you know when you haven't always exceeded certain times in your life doesn't mean you can't achieve later in life so I absolutely love the fact you share that easy like you scraped through you know and I think I scraped through my GCSEs but then got a first class degree later on as a mature student and I think it's really valuable to say like you know if you feel like you're not quite there or you're not good enough because I saying in the past it's just a limiting belief and just carry on excellent yeah and that that for me is one of the things that I try and instill now in in my pupils because I always you always see these stories of like 
you know, from like the, the worst possible scenario to becoming successful. And it's all almost like rags to riches. And, and it's very common because people who are in those situations find it, find that fight and desire to be able to go and become amazing at something. But what's inspired me to start writing is because what about those people in the middle, like myself, who was, you know, not particularly bad at something or really struggling, but was just quite average and wouldn't ever, you know, would quite happily stay in their lane and remain average and not make a change uh, unless something was done about it. So it's almost um, in, in a way, the challenge is different because, you know, you've not got to fight for food on the table or you've, you know, you've not got, like you say, that sort of adversity from your other guest to be able to, you know, fight through and become successful. But you've also got to fight that limiting belief of yourself of, you know, I'm just here, like I'm going to spend my 60, 70 years on the planet or even more being average and then I'm going to go. And actually I was thinking, no, I, I've got to, and it's not an ego thing, it's sort of like a, a belief mentality really of I'm here to do more than that. And what what is it that I'm meant to do? And like I say, that that move moving away to university was step one in in bit of soul searching in a way but then step two straight after university the day I handed in my dissertation in the morning I went and traveled to Manchester airport and got my flight for nine months in um, North Carolina in the United States and um, to work as a as a soccer coach as they call it over there and discover a lot more about myself because from being surrounded in a small group at university I went to being on my own and, and living on my own in a new country for nine months but again, I knew that the development wasn't finished and I needed to go and, and carry on finding out what it is my purpose is for. And what does it feel like? Because I know what it feels like, <laughs> but I could say it's like the niggle, that inner search where you just think, no, I'm not done yet. I need to keep going. What did it feel like for you when you knew there was more of your personal development to come? Well, basically, there was two things that you could be scared of. And it, it was um, the fear of failure or the fear of remaining average really and not trying anything and i'm not saying like i'm i'm above average or whatever it is um type of person you know I'm, I'm definitely not but in my head i just saw being average as just going through and plodding on really um and you know everyone has their own goals and it's all always sort of weighted against their own expectations and aspirations and to me if i could become a teacher from the point of where I was academically struggling at primary school and secondary school, then that to me was above average and that would be a massive achievement. So it wasn't ever to become a teacher as such. I had that in mind, um, but it was just, yeah, seeing where that discovery and that journey took me. And I, I thought, well, what's, what, what's worse? The fear of failure or the fear of remaining average. And for me, the fear of failure wasn't as scary as just plodding along and, and not ever trying. So I would just put myself in uncomfortable situations. And believe me, on that train to Manchester uh, to get that flight, with literally a bag of, of like all that I was going to live out of for nine months was really scary. But I had to do it because if I didn't, I'd have just returned home, um, maybe struggled for, to find work or whatever it was, or, or find a job that I was going to probably be in for a number of years and not actually have the aspiration to venture out of it. So putting myself in as many uncomfortable situations early on allowed me to get used to that and build up a, a confidence and tolerance to uh, uncomfortable situations that would then spur me on later on down the line. I absolutely love that. And I think that's a really valuable tool for the listener. Like if they're thinking of creating a positive change. Yeah and they're just putting it down to excuses of time, the kids, whatever, they should sit and ask themselves a question like, if you really want saying, what's worse, the fear of failure or the fear of staying where you are, the fear of being average. And just yesterday I was speaking to a most gorgeous lady, but she's just so scared of life itself. And she's going, yeah, but what if Shelley? But what if I fail? What if it doesn't work out? And I just like listened and then I was like, I just have to say that most of my nursing career was end of life. And I just come from a really different viewpoint because when they're dying, we're at the end of their life and they're looking back and time suddenly becomes more precious than what we take it to be. I always, even now I get quite emotional. They said to me, at the end of your days, you never regret the things you did do. You only regret the things you didn't. And it's just stuck with me, Jonathan, so much. Mm. 
that I'm always, I think I'm petrified my husband actually, but I'm always quite feisty thinking, I'm just going to try, I'm just going to try because I'm not dead. And it's as simple as that. And I think when you've worked at the end of life and heard it from the horse's mouth, as we say here in England, when mm. you've heard it, like you don't regret the things you did do in life, whether you fail, it's, you know, absolute disaster. You only regret the things you didn't do. And that's stuck with me. And so I'm always doing things. I've had baking companies. I've worked in a school care home, mm. you know, tried nursing, left, went back again, just in case I missed something. Um, <laughs> and I'm always doing that. And it's not that I want to be average, not that I'm better than anyone else at all. It's just the words of the dying that you've got to live while you're alive because it's going to be really hard when you're dead. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, like you said, um, average isn't like a, it's not an ego thing or anyone thinking anyone, anyone's above anyone. Everyone can be above average. Everyone's average is a, is a certain level. And that is like staying exactly where you are and not doing something. So if everybody made that change, it doesn't mean that becomes the new, the new average. It just means that we're all leaving that part of us behind where we could have gone. And, and I actually, again, for someone who's like my age or I, I've, I've thought this for quite a number of years now, but it is a bit of a strange thing to think about, but I do, I think about being sort of, you know, towards the latter, latter years of my life and, you know, thinking, who am I going to have around me? So one of my big ambitions is to build a, build a family and, 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 you know, have a really happy and thriving family unit. Like, who am I going to have around me? What are they going to say like about me? Like what, what did I manage to do? You know, and, I, and what would I say about myself? And that's the most important thing. What are you going to say about yourself? Are you going to say, you know, stayed in their lane and never really tried anything? Or are you going to think, actually, push the boundaries, tried something, but was never afraid to fail? And um, and that's what I'd rather be, that person who's a bit of a risk taker uh, in, in a sensible manner. You know, you don't have to start making uncalculated risks every, everywhere you go, but just being someone who pushed out the boundaries of the comfort zone and, that's definitely, I think, what you said there, an amazing outlook on on what it is uh, and what, what life is all about. Yeah, and I love what you're saying about the end of life. In my first book, Positive Change and Self-Kick book, um, I actually get people to write a eulogy. It's one of the tools. Write your own eulogy. Like, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want people to say about you? And I know some people think it's really macabre, thinking she is really screwed up, but it's my ex-nursing humour as well. That's what I'm putting it down to. Mm -hmm. But it's actually really valuable because you're thinking that you don't care what other people think, especially at my age, middle age. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but you still have to care what you think about yourself, I think. Mm. And so I get you to write your own eulogy. And again, like we were saying earlier, it's not if you don't know what you want, work out what you don't want. And it is that working backwards. I mean, I had a gorgeous guest, uh, Claudia Gotzelman, and she's a midlife coach. And she takes people to the end of their life because she was an end of life doula beforehand. And she goes, you know, what you're saying at the end of your life, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want to have achieved? And then she takes them back to their current reality. Mm. And I think it's really good what you're bringing up today, that people sitting in their current reality going, oh, yeah, but what if? But if we move forward to the don't wants or the end of our life and work backwards, there's got to be an answer that pops up, I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I also ask people who I work with to sort of think about, you know, instead of going forward and looking back as well, going back and looking forward. So you know, if you was watching a, a film of yourself and you, and you were sat there with in, in a premiere of your life and what it's going to look like, what's that film going to look like? What's it, you know, what are you going to be doing? How are you going to be acting? How are you going to be talking to people? What do people think of you? Who's going to be sat around you? Because those are the people that you value the most. So you think about your family, close friends, who is there around you? And those people can help you uh, level you up as well. And I, I had after university quite a, a difficult time. I, I came back at, at, uh, from America, 22 years old. And then at 23, um, I ended up losing my, one of my closest friends from, from home. And um, he was a teacher and I, I was running my own football coaching business at the time. After coming back from America, I started it up and was taking a risk. And he always advocated it, you know, take that chance, take that leap of faith. And his tagline sort of thing for the charity that we set up in his honor and what he um, always used to say was I want he said I want to live one amazing life you have one amazing life to live and that was what we used as our, as the charity in his memory we called it one amazing life the Stephen Hughes Foundation and all of our events were one amazing life one amazing life because he would just 
you know, every single summer that he had off as a teacher, he would go traveling, he'd go skiing, he'd go, you know, around Europe, he would explore lots of new things. And in his fun notes, his parents actually found a little quote that he wrote to himself. And it was, if you're not making someone else's life better, then you're wasting your time. And those two things have stuck with me. Um, it's been, you know, seven years now. One amazing life and having to live one amazing life. And if you're not making someone else's life better, then you're wasting your time. So it's not just about giving yourself one amazing life. It's about giving other people that as well. And the feeling that, you know, you get from that and, and the, the vibrations you put out in a way, if we're going back to that. And <clears throat> that really stuck with me because I struggled for, for quite a few years with coping with the grief of that. But what would always come back to me is you need to live one amazing life. If you just sort of stay, um, you know, get down in the dumps and really sort of suffer with with this cloud of grief that's over you and let it win, you, you're not going to do what you started beforehand and what Stephen always advocated, go out and live one amazing life. So that's what helped me go on as well. And that's it. You never know when it when the journey's going to stop. At, you know, 23 years old, one of the healthiest people I've ever met had this heart condition that, nobody knew about. Um, and you see it a lot in marathon runners and things, you know, somebody might just all of a sudden one day just drop dead and you, you're not sure. Um, he actually had like a, quite an, an, an intensive sort of eight, nine month long battle with the illness um, before ultimately um, it, it claimed his life. And you just don't know when it's going to end. And that's one of the things as well, you know, the fear of being average relates to that, you know, coming towards the end of your life, whenever that comes around, what did you do to fill up those that time because I mean the, the, the chances of me and you talking and actually being on this planet now are so minuscule that it's just a it's a miracle in itself that that we're here so why not make the most of it yeah and it just reminds me again like working at the end of life I nurse millionaires when I went to the private sector and it's just I don't know fascinates the right word but I'm just like really privileged from the lessons and they always used to say that, you know, they worked for their family and they'd, you know, they say there's millionaires, they run like big clubs down in Essex and all around the country, massive things. But they had loads of money, but they didn't actually have great family ties because they were never there. And they used to say, at the end of the day, I always knew how much money I had, but I never knew how much time I had. And I was just like, that, <laughs> exactly that. And that's the thing, like you're always like saving until you've got five grand in the bank or until you're that six figure or you've got that career. And at the end of the day, it's not what counts. I know people thinking like, that's really nice, Shelley. Well, I want to be a millionaire. Go knock yourselves out. Do you know what I mean? But trust me, when I was nursing the dying at the end of life, I never got asked to drive the designer car in the designer shoes. It was always, can you bring my dog in? You know, can you find my estranged daughter? Can you tell my ex-wife I'm sorry? It's not the things, it's time and people. Mm. That's so important because I've not sort of spoken to someone like yourself before who's had that experience of speaking to people towards the end of life. So to find out, you know, we always think that we are, you know, you can't take money with you and things, but to actually hear it, like you say, from people who are going through that and it, it just shows to everybody what's truly important, really. Yeah, I mean, I know, you know, you need money for like, mortgages transportation food experiences and things like that absolutely but it should never be your priority and I love what you were saying like what you know the memory of your friend it's really it's about that one amazing life you know mm. and being of service to others and it does I mean connections one of the regrets of the dying that I found and it's it is your life to live it your way that's another thing they used to say like live your life not someone else's version of it but it's connection connect to yourself know who you are but then connect to your community, a church, your grandparents, God, Allah, whoever. Just always know, you know, you can make a difference. I think that's what we've been saying throughout, isn't it? If you feel average or if you've not done well at a stage in your life, you still have the power to make a difference to your life and someone else's. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'd say in the last three or four years, I'm nearly 30 now, and the last three or four years, I've probably learned more about myself than I had in the first sort of 26, 27 years and going through, and, and obviously I work in schools, so it's not to say that the education system's broken or anything like that, but it's just, you don't think that at the time. When you leave school, you think, right, I've learned everything. My learning's done now, and um, moving on to something new. But then you go into college or apprenticeships, or you start discovering new things, and you start learning again. So if that's the same with your career and your education, then 
it, it's applicable to yourself as well uh, and learning things about yourself because you'll find out things about yourself that you never knew that you could learn you know your potential is really is limitless um and yeah putting yourself in uncomfortable situations is where you do learn that about yourself and obviously meeting people and surrounding yourself in that inner circle of people who are like-minded and, and goal-oriented i mean i always i often think my inner circle are, are better than me um and that's not i don't it doesn't ever change i don't ever just go right now you're in my inner circle now you are <laughs> but it's just that i've surrounded myself with people uh, and as you get older you sort of do learn this but people who really value you and your time, but also people who you think, right, I could really, um, you know, look up to you and see what you're doing in your, your drive or, you know, your outlook on life or your perspective in this. It's really interesting because everybody's got something I think that they're truly amazing at. So, and they say that you, you're the average of the five people who are closest to you. So yeah. make sure those people who are around you, um, are, 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 you know, like, like-minded in a way. Yeah, I always say, like, surround yourself with positive people. And I think it's a really bad analogy in my first book. It's my first book, so I'm allowed to be a bit rough around the edges. And it's not about rotten apples. And it's sort of like, you know, you can be the, I think I've actually said do peaches, like you're the juiciest, loveliest peach, but you're going to meet people who don't like peaches. And also you need to surround yourself with other fresh people. Do you know what I mean? Because if mm-hmm. you get one rotten person, it's slowly going to spread. And it does, doesn't it? Like if you're sort of, we can't go into a pub at the moment, but in the days when you go into a pub or if you're going into school, wherever you're going, there's other people. You do pick up on their energy. If you're not into like hocus pocus like myself, you do pick up on other people's energy, beliefs, mm. you know, and I just don't like it. No. <laughs> so do surround yourself with five positive people, the people that lift you up, not drag you down, the people who are willing to come with you on your journey. I mean, I'm quite feisty because I'm in my forties now. <laughs> I'm in the crone stage of life. And I just think, I don't, I don't know. I just, your friendships change, I think is what I'm trying to say. Your friendships change, but make sure they're changing for the positive. Mm, yeah. Because I find that when I've tried to create change, people have gone like, oh, you're a bit old for that. Or, oh, when you get a proper job, because you used to be a nurse. And people are always, almost fearful of you becoming greater. Oh. And they try and hold you back. So sometimes those five people might be in your family and it's your parents going, oh, but why don't you just inherit your dad's business, you know, or why don't you marry the nice girl down the road or well, your degree's in this, so why don't you do that? Like my nursing degree, I'm an orphan podcaster, doesn't really add up. Mm, yeah. But, you know, surround people that take you for who you are in that moment, not the person they thought you were five years ago, because we're always changing. People say, yeah, but do you remember that time when you dated so-and-so 22 years ago? No, not really, I don't. <laughs> But people remember a past version of you and you need people around you to, I don't know, cheerleaders. That's a cho- jolly word, isn't it? Yeah. You need cheerleaders yeah. around you. I spoke I spoke about this to my pupils and we spoke about who's at your table, your metaphorical round table, really, a little bit like King Arthur. And, um, you know, you've only got six seats, one, one being yourself, who's around you, you know, and you need that cheerleader that, that, that really picks you up or, everyone in a sense can be but you also need those people who can can tell you you know if you are ever sort of straying too far away from your true values but it's important to know who is doing it for the right reasons and who is sort of being a drain really and like you say people who prefer that past version of yourself and i think a really good way of telling that is how do you feel after you spend time with those people so i used to i've had you know friends who or people who have been around for, for years and I've just thought oh well I've already known them for 10 12 years so they have to be um you know my close friend forever but every time you spend time with, that, with those people you, you feel drained you just feel so lack look like lackluster really and no energy and you're just like wow I feel feel really really tired and just like I don't feel like doing anything now or you know are you with those people when you come in and you you sort of bouncing around and like wow I feel really great now I spent time with those people and I think the situation that we've been in over the past year has really helped with that because you know who truly values you and who you value. Um, and also, you know, when things hopefully get back to a more normal state, who are you really looking forward to spending time with and who's going to pick you up? Because if you spend, you know, your first outing again with someone who's a bit of a drain, then you're just going to feel, oh, well, I'd rather go back into lockdown, to be honest. So it's about how the how you feel around those people. And it's funny because in the last couple of years, I've met people, um, you know, through work or whatever it is, 
who have been like they've known me my whole life and like my almost like number one supporters and you sort of do attract people who you put out into the universe like they say so you know ambitious driven like-minded people um it's it's really interesting how how these things form and and that obviously started for me like when i was around 17 18. i think that's brilliant i think it's a really good talk people try today like who are you really looking forward to seeing because mm. that's something people want to do today you know and i think when you were saying it, i was like oh yeah oh no no thank you <laughs> yeah. and i was like oh yeah i'd love to have my friend emma you know yeah. and i was thinking someone else I'm like, oh no not so much love no mm. <laughs> Keep that one on the back burner for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> so I know you're very passionate about self-belief and the law of attraction, but you also speak about planning and design. Tell us about yeah. that. So so what I'm trying to sort of implement with my concept, the purpose cycle, is that success in things that I've read in the past have always been linear. So how to get from here to here, you know, how to be this or how to be that, the A to B journey. And what I've realized is actually... My first sort of ambitions were, you know, to go and start my own uh, business in, in football coaching. So university came, America came, then I managed to come back and start it. And that was like the end of a cycle. And I was like, oh, great. I've achieved my goal now of being able to do this. I'll be able to go to university. Now what? Then I'd start again. And then I'd go, right, well, I'd like to become a teacher. And then I'd start that again. Brilliant. I've become a teacher. Now what? And for a lot of people, that there's a there's a huge drop off there when you achieve a goal because you think, well, that's it now. And you don't have that burning desire anymore. But the cycle concept means obviously we're leveling up all throughout our lives. And we, we never truly finish developing until I always call it fruition, which is the fact which is the final stage in the cycle, because you reap in the fruits that sort of you, you've sown in, in previous years and months of hard work. And then the last purpose cycle, as it were, would be fulfillment, because I don't really feel like you, you get true fulfillment until towards the end of your life. And you look back and you think, wow, I really give it a good go. You know, I've had a great life and I've really tried and, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've seized every opportunity that I could get. So that that's why I call it the purpose cycle, really. And it, it begins with an aspiration of what you want to become and designing your dream life. And quite often it's an external trigger. So you might see. For example, um, in America, I, I stayed with a, a lovely family um, and, you know, three kids, um, we've got four now, and they had such a happy, like unbelievably strong family unit. And they'd been through a tragedy them, themselves. Um, and I thought, wow, how strong is this like relationship, first of all, but also this family unit and how much the children absolutely love their parents and want to be just like them or whatever it is. And, and they're, they're channeled with aspirations and they want to be this and that one. And I just thought, wow, that's something that I would like. And so it's often external when you see something else and you think, oh, I'd like something along those lines. Now it's, it's always a tricky point because some people see the external things as, as materialistic possessions, such as cars and houses and things. So that's fine. But, but what are the characteristics of that person? And, you know, are they good people or are they just trying to sort of cover up parts of their personality that they wish they could fix themselves with materialistic possessions? So that's always something to look out for. So then what are the internal feelings? Because I always say when you're designing your dream life, you're watching this, this film, like I've said, of what you're going to become. How does it feel when you have it? Because quite often, you know, you could get that car and you could be driving it home and it feel absolutely amazing for, for a week. And then you're like, now what, you know, it doesn't make me a better person. So there could be sort of like tools and, and things that you pick up along the way. Are you a successful person who, you know, runs a business that you're passionate about, that you provide value to the world and a byproduct of that is the car that might make you a little bit happier. Then that's great. So yeah, designing the external factors and the internal factors are really important to begin with in that in that aspiration stage. And what does the future you look like? How do they carry themselves? I think, like you said earlier, with the sort of dating and relationships thing of, you know, you need to dress um, and act like you you would. I mean, when I when I was a student teacher, I'd dress like the head teacher. I would, I would put, put on the suit and tie, and I still do now. I try and be as smart as I can be because I think it gives a good impression off to the, the students around you and, and also making sure that you, you treat everybody the same. So even though I wasn't the head teacher and I wasn't 
you know, overseeing the whole school, I'd make an effort to go and see the cleaners in, in that building or, you know, the, the, the kitchen staff in that building and making sure I knew everybody's name and that and talking to them and treating them as if, you know, one day I could be um, in charge of the school and, and making sure I look after everybody. So I'm going to start looking after everybody now. Um, so, yeah, designing that dream life is also looking forward to what it is you're going to become and how do they act? How do they carry themselves? What do they look like in terms of, I don't mean in terms of, you know, their, do they have a nice watch and stuff, but what do they look like in terms of, you know, I always saw myself as somebody who had a positive body language and stood up straight and looked people in the eye and and spoke with a tonality that would, you know, give off some enthusiasm. Uh, so those are the kinds of things that I was looking for when designing my dream life. And finally, what characteristics do they have? So are they somebody who gets up early and, you know, disciplined? So even when it's raining outside, do I still go for a run? You know, even if I'm a bit groggy um, on, a, on a Thursday morning after a long week at work, do I still make my bed? Uh, do I still make sure I hydrate and, and keep to the plans that I want to do to be a successful person? Because each day, I believe you build momentum and you do that by doing the small things right. And eventually, you know, you, the, the great, the larger things will come. So, you know, do I lay in and, and make myself late for work and leave the bed messy? Or do I vote for future Jonathan, who is a disciplined person, who is tidy, who is on time, who values other people's opinions? So I always think, you know, you could have a really bad day, a uh, bit of a bad morning, you might have spilt coffee all down your, your trousers or whatever it is. And then the, the cleaner who you've made an effort to get to know walks past and says, good morning, and you're a little bit cold to them. Well, that's, that's again, not voting for the long-term you. You could really ruin their day by being horrible to them or being, giving them the cold shoulder. So, yeah, it was a long answer, Shelley, but always voting for that long-term you, designing it, predicting what it's going to look like, and visualising it. I think visualising for me is a, a massive part of it because then you get the feelings internally of what it feels like to have that. And if you don't, then you know that that might not necessarily be the, the place where you want to get to. I love that. You said it's long-winded. I thought it's quite marvellous. Yeah. Quite marvellous, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> no, I really loved it. And I was just like, that's just brilliant. And it's probably brilliant because it's what I do. <laughs> I'm very visual. Yeah. And I keep getting this recurring vision. I've had them for years, but everyone that normally listens now, I'm quite hocus-pocus and call me a witch. I don't really mind. But for years, I had a vision of a dark-haired dark baby girl to come. And during my last pregnancy, I'm really open about it. Um, my husband and I have had a huge fertility journey and lost many pregnancies. And during our last pregnancy, um, started out as triplets and just kept losing and losing and losing. And then we had this last like, baby inside and we was told to terminate. She's never going to make it. Never. Um, she had like one in 80,000 chances of making it. And we was told to terminate at 20 weeks. But I had a vision <laughs> and I'm quite feisty. And so with that vision, I got a second medical opinion. Um, and they did say it'd be the hugest psychological journey I'd ever do. And I thought, how hard could it be? Bloody hard, if anyone's listening. Seriously hard. Mm. Um, but I had a vision of a dark-haired baby girl to come. Yeah. And our kids are kind of born blonde or brown. But she was really petite, really dark. And that's all I had. But it's also all I wanted. So I went all on in. And I just did like psychic surgery, meditation, positive affirmations, daily walks. Anything spiritual, I would absolutely try. And it's how I wrote Positive Changes, a self-kick book, because it was semicolon moment. I could have committed suicide, this time bomb ticking. Mm. I was 40. It was my last chance of pregnancy. No, I'm not good at pregnancy anyway. But the power of visualization got me through. I just thought I kept seeing her and I, you know, just kept focusing on the future, not my current reality, which I didn't really like. Just kept going and going and going. And she's six now and she's lost her first tooth this week. And I cried so much, Jonathan, because I was just like, she wasn't meant to make it, let alone have teeth. <laughs> but, you know, she's made a milestone. So I think if people can just visualize something, even if they're not feeling it today, just, you know, create that vision of your future self. I've got one of me. Um, I don't look too ropey, actually, because sometimes when I wake up, Jonathan, I look a bit like a bit of chewed string. But in the future, a few years from now, I'm not aged too bad. I think my personality seems lighter, my hair's lighter. 
life's lighter. And I don't know where this vision comes from, but I just feel like, you know, the next book's a success. There's an abundance coming in. My kids are still happy and bouncing on my head. Mm. You know, the it's a different home. And I just think, you know, even on our down days, and there are down days. I mean, I'm an author on positivity, but I have a duvet day and do a bit of Netflix box set, you know. Yeah. But what you want to put, you know, believe or what you want to achieve, start to see it. And people say, oh, I'm not very visual, Shelley. And it's like, but imagine a red door, a red front door. And you can do it, can't you? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Even so if you get cool. a photo or something, not of a celebrity, like you want to be a Kim Kardashian or anyone, but get a photo and pin it on the fridge every time you go for that gatto yeah. <laughs> or something, you know, just think, no, I'm choosing to be healthier today. I'm yeah. But yeah, when visual you, things are amazing. So I know it's obviously on the audio, but I wanted to show you this. So um, we, we moved into this house two weeks ago uh, and two years ago, we started with this visualization project book. Uh, oh, I love that. I've got a vision board in my office. Yeah. So from designing literally everything in, in finer detail, we did um, because we started off with what do we want and you know what we didn't want. And then we were quite broad and then we became really specific, right? Well, it's a, it's a really silly thing, but I always wanted a, a front door with that sort of porch overhanging uh, as it sort of like a wooden porch over the top as you came in. It was a really strange thing, but I pinned it on and we had like a, they've all come, come from a vision board um, that we would pin and it was in front of our bed. So every single morning that we woke up might be some subconscious, like you say, going for the gatto, uh, but we saw it every single day. And it manifested and we were like, oh, we're never going to be able to save for this house because we, we want to pay for a wedding. Um, but, you know, job opportunities have come and, and things like this that have managed to, to manifest itself into what it was. Uh, and we moved in two weeks ago and, and that was only because, you know, not a materialistic thing because I'd just be as happy where I rented before. But this is where... This is part of the dream of the family that I was talking about. This is the family home. Um, and it's sort of like part of that vision of being, you know, um, the dad at the football game kind of thing, um, teaching my kid how to ride a bike. That's all I want to be because my, I'm really grateful for the upbringing I had from my father and, and my, my mother as well. And being able to provide that to somebody else, I think would be fantastic. So I do hope that would be one day. And another vision I have of myself, which I've got on my phone, um, is a little sort of, bestseller amazon bestseller badge from like a book and um, so that would be like the author side but one true one that i would love is to be able to speak in front of people and being able to have speaking opportunities um, would definitely be something that one day hopefully i can build towards and basically i've got a photograph of a of a crowd at a, at a venue in in kingston upon hull where i'm from i would just love to be able to do it um, you know, not too certain on how it's going to happen at this moment in time, but I'm seeing it every day and I'm sure that I road will present itself in the, in the coming months and years. If, if I keep visualizing. I think that's really valuable as well. What you're saying, like, you don't know how, because so many people focus on like the end destination. And I know it's a bit hippie, but it's not about the end destination. It is about the journey. Do you know what I mean? Like if you want to have, like me, I would love a Jaguar F-Pace. I know that's really materialistic. I know I was end of life nurse, but I'd love it. It's sexy. It's smaller than my current car, which I hate parking. <laughs> it's got really bad night lights. It's like driving along with candles on, Jonathan. I need a safer car as well. And that's what I'm telling the universe. It's not that I'm a knob. <laughs> it's because I want a car that's safe and smaller because that would help my anxiety the kids will be safer you know that's kind of thing and I've got that on my phone I've just this week put it on mm. so every time I look at it I'm like oh there's my red Jackie Ref pace on my phone but you know people can create those changes and like you have to think and this is a sweeping statement so I apologize in advance listeners <laughs> but I imagine that a lot of them who aren't making positive changes are sitting there scrolling through Facebook thinking I haven't got the time to make a positive change, but they're on their phone. So really, for those people that are procrastinating, if you put a positive photo on your phone, every time you're going to get onto Facebook, you might just, you know, start changing something anyway. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's why I started to, to do it on my phone, because I thought, am I picking this up for a negative reason or am I actually doing it to, to do something productive? 
So that that's what it's there for the manifestation app that I use, and it has all of these things on. Like you said, with the with the Jaguar, it's not a materialistic thing, but it's an element of the future you, the dream life. You know, Shelley drives this car. You know, Jonathan lives in this house. It's it's not the be all and end all, but it's a segment of that future life. And you know, I can imagine myself leaving this house and going to that speaking gig that I spoke about earlier. It's a, it's a part of it. Um, and then, you know, hopefully picking children up from school and things like that. So it's all about the dream life. And don't ever sort of catch yourself being material, thinking, oh, I'm materialistic because I want this. Because it's not. It's part of the dream life that you want to build. The, the, the other side of it is if it's only that one thing, you know, I will be happy when I wear this Rolex. Yeah. That's when it's the dangerous trap. So, yeah, you know, you can be like, I'm someone who's very confident, charismatic, successful. I wear this watch as a part of me, um, but it's not the be all and end all. Um, and then I think as well, it's a bit like what we said earlier about relationships. If you're always like, I want to have this person in my life, they look like this and this and this, and you sort of wishing for it, but not doing anything about it, then it's not going to happen. The, the, the Jaguar, the Rolex, the house is a byproduct of the things that you're bringing to the table, your successful characteristics. Yeah, absolutely. So my little one tip for today would be for all of you that say you haven't got time, just get your phone and put a positive picture on there or something you want to manifest. What would your one thing they could do today? What one positive change could people make today? I would say that visualization process and starting to, to plan your dream life so what what do you look like in five years time in 10 years time get, print out photographs make it really visual or put them on your phone make sure that you see them every day so what are these different parts of your life that you're going to to work on are you somebody who becomes more charismatic who can um, handle pressurized situations who is successful because they've developed their knowledge and with that it's great to dream and great to design but what are you going to do about it then? So put yourself in an uncomfortable position every week, whether that's enrolling yourself on a course, whether that's challenging yourself, you know, in, in, in terms of your personal or work situations and always learning and asking questions because that's the ultimate way that you're going to get to yourself. And, and, uh, and the last part of your design is always vote for that dream you and back yourself. So the first week is probably the easiest week. You're like, yep, that's me. I'm going to make my bed every day. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to have my morning coffee and I'm going to go in and achieve my goals. But what's going to happen on those days where you feel a bit, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm a bit tired today. I'm going to give myself a day off. Is that what future you does? Does future you have a day off where it's easy? Or do they put themselves in those situations every day because it will become a success over time? Always remember to vote for the future you. And I always relate it to um, bamboo because they say, don't they, if the, the bamboo trees quite often, you, you see that they get planted and, and nothing grows for, or it seems like nothing grows for a number of months. And then it can grow up to 90 feet in three, three, three to four weeks. Now, why is that? That's because all of the foundations, all of the roots are doing all of the hard work over time. And then the results come after all of that hard work and, and the foundations are set up. And all of a sudden, it just shoots up to up to 90 feet tall, some bamboo trees. It's incredible, really, when you think about it. And that, that's that's what I always believe with myself. Uh, and I think of us should too, when designing their dream life, plant the bamboo. And I always think about growing that bamboo. I absolutely love that bamboo fact. Thank you. <laughs> also, so I'm just going to drop that down and Google that later. Thank you very much, yeah. Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan Tucker, it's been absolutely wonderful to speak to you. I love your journey and I'm sure the listeners will. You've been through so much. You've got like the grief, you know, throwing yourself out of the comfort zone time and time again. Love the visualisation. So thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thank you, Shelley. It's been a huge pleasure to be on. Uh, and, and thank you to all the listeners as well for listening to the show. enjoy today's episode please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review if you would like to create your own positive changes you can buy positive changes a self-kick book from all online book retailers or from shellyfnight.com
If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelley F. Knight. Life goes on. As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight and you've been amazing. <laughs>